Well, good morning, Lakewood. Thanks for joining us today. It's so good that we have this way to worship in this uh, COVID-19 era. I miss you. And I've talked to uh, several on the phone this week who have said, oh, we miss our church. But I'm glad we have this way to gather, even though uh, we're separate from one another for this time. Couple of things. Uh, these are days when fear can really attack our hearts and our minds. And uh, you might just want to talk and pray with someone. Uh, I wanna encourage you to email me at uh, sanderson at lefcmail.com. And uh, I'll call you back and we'll have a time of uh, just encouraging each other and pray together. Let me give you that email again, sanderson at lefcmail.com. Well, this week is Holy Week, and I um, want to encourage you that there'll be devotions online each day for you. And then Good Friday, I want to encourage you uh, as we have our service together that you might have communion together as a household. Uh, maybe as a household, or maybe it's just you and Jesus this time. And there'll be instructions that will be coming to you uh, via email this week, how to set up and, and then how to officiate communion in your home on Good Friday. Want to encourage you with that. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. 
He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's mocking! That's mocking! Amen. What's all the shouting about? Luke 19, Palm Sunday, just fascinates me. Up to this point, Jesus has almost hidden from his destiny. There were several times when the people wanted to crown him king. They'd watched his amazing power. They'd seen his wonderful heart. They'd received his tremendous grace. He cared for them. He really cared for them. And they'd seen his uh, wonderful care. And he had this amazing ability to meet their needs. He should be king. He should be king. If ever there was anyone who should be ruler, should be king, Jesus was the one. But every time the disciples wanted a coronation, Jesus wanted to disappear. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Whenever they talked about his kingdom, he said, not now. Every time that is until today. This is an amazing story, a great story. It's the height of Jesus' popularity. And today, finally, Jesus receives their applause. He welcomes their praise. In just five days, they will turn on him. But today, they get to see who Jesus really is. That's my king. The gospel writers paint the story in grand colors, beautiful tones. When you put Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all together, the detail of Palm Sunday is just amazing. What happens? Well, let's see. Luke 19, 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now he's been in Jericho, just 15 miles from Jerusalem. There Jesus met Zacchaeus, the crooked tax collector, that wee little man as we know him, changed his life. 
healed blind Bartimaeus also, an amazing miracle. And as he comes near Jerusalem for Passover, the crowd following him gets bigger and bigger and bigger with every step. Here's verse 29. As they approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Now John's gospel fill this, fills this in a bit. Jesus stayed in Bethany overnight, Saturday night. That's when he sent the disciples for the donkey, that young unbroken donkey that no one had ever ridden. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Now I think the owner had probably met Jesus knew the disciples. Lend your car to Jesus? Why, of course, glad to. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now again, John fills out the story, telling us that there were two crowds. There was the large crowd with Jesus, the disciples, many from Galilee, many who have joined him on the way to Passover, many who believed him from Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Probably everyone had heard that story, how a year earlier, Jesus had resurrected Lazarus from the dead. There's that crowd coming from Bethany with Jesus. And then there is another crowd, a larger crowd. The word has spread in Jerusalem. Jesus is coming. Jesus is here for Passover. And there's something more that we learn from history. There's a third crowd. Passover overcrowded Jerusalem. Jews came from all over the world to Passover, the great feast. And without lodging enough for the thousands who came to stay in Jerusalem, people brought their tents, set up their tents in the valleys outside the city walls, especially in the Kidron Valley and on the ascent to Mount of Olives. So here's a crowd coming with Jesus from the east. Here's a crowd coming from Jerusalem on the west. They meet where the third crowd is camping on the valley and on, on Mount Olive. And as the little donkey carrying the master comes over the crown of the mountain and the crowds converge, it's one exuberant roar of applause and shouting and singing and joy. I don't know. Did they sing the songs of the temple? Probably. Did, did they chant and cheer like a basketball crowd? It, it seems so. 
And the valley echoed with the excitement and worship and joy and praise. Luke says they were throwing their coats on the road. That was their way of doing the red carpet thing. Matthew says they were cutting branches off of palm tree, off of the trees and laying them down on the road. John says they were palm trees. That's where we learn that in the gospel of John. They were waving them in the air. I hope you can catch that picture. Let's read on. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you check the other gospels again, you discover that they were singing, they were shouting, not only the words that Luke gives us here, they were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna to the son of David. They were acclaiming Jesus, king of Israel, their king. They were shouting, Hosanna, which means, Lord, rescue us, save us from these Roman occupiers, asking God to restore the great days of David uh, through this one who is the son of David. Alexander McLaren, the great old preacher, says, Christ's royalty and divine commission are proclaimed from a thousand throats and upswells the shout of praise that echoes the angel song at Bethlehem and ascribes to his coming power to make peace in heaven. Their song was wiser than they knew. Up till now, whenever Jesus knew the crowd was ready to set him up as king, every time he withdrew from the nomination, he pulled away. And yet this time, this time, when they acclaim him king, he doesn't pull back. He doesn't draw away. He welcomes their praise. The time has come for the world to see. The time has come for his glory to be declared. For this one day, in these powerful moments, Jesus claims his rightful place as king of creation, king of the earth, king of the human heart. As one commentator puts it, a foretaste of his coming victory. And again, he will ride into Jerusalem. Next time he rides as king forever. But today is not a day to withdraw. This day, it's time for his glory to shine. In fact, look at this, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, here's where we want to focus this morning. Have you noticed the contrast? Did you see the contradiction? Here's the crowd shouting and clapping and singing. He's our king. He's our savior, our salvation and our Lord. He's here and we can't be quiet. No way we can contain our joy. But also right there are the Pharisees, scowls on their faces. 
disapproving onlookers, angry opponents, really. They have no title for Jesus, but teacher, that's the best they can do. He's no king to them. Cut that out. That's their reaction. What's their problem? What is their problem? Were they against worship? Were they opposed to praise? No, their worship in a strange sort of way was precious to them. For them, worship, praise was a stage where they could show all their friends how pious they were, how important they were, how impressive they were. Hypocrites, that's what Jesus called them because they would stand in public and pray loud and long, not so that God would be glorified, but so that they could be seen. Hypocrites, Jesus called them for. When they came with their offering, they blew trumpets and horns in the streets. They wanted everyone to notice like an entrance at the prom. Hey, everybody, look at me. It's not for love of God they gave. It was to make an impression, to make an entrance. No, they used worship. They weren't against worship. So why were they opposed to this parade? Why were they trying to silence the disciples? Two reasons, really. And the first is simple. They hated Jesus. He made them so mad because he called them the hypocrites that they really were. He told it like it was. He exposed the reality of their religion. Their religion was not about God. It was about power and control and status. It was about pride and, and self-righteousness. The Pharisees loved their religious rules that made them look better than everyone else, made everybody else look worse by comparison. They loved their services and their Bible studies so that they could show everybody else just how much they knew. And Jesus was in their face again and again. And Jesus was there telling it like it was. They had made worship a joke. And because Jesus exposed them, they hated Jesus. Have you ever noticed how truth angers people who don't want to hear it? Healthy people know how to face their anger and, and learn from their anger and ask the right questions. I learned that from the pastor I used to work for. Uh, we'd be in staff meetings talking about some struggle that this youth pastor had gotten himself into. And, and Bruce would say to me, you really are angry at that, aren't you? What's that about? Is that because, Steve, you don't want to admit that you're not all right here? Is it because your failings have been exposed? Makes you mad, doesn't it? That's the Pharisees. No capacity for self-criticism. No ability to look at their own hearts. Phonies, really. And Jesus exposes them. John says, this is what they said to each other. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's out of control. The world's in stampede after Jesus. They were losing their crowd. They were losing their audience. Jesus 
was stealing their fans, cutting in on their power. A parade for Jesus? Not if they can help it. But there's another reason for their opposition. This parade exposed how shallow and rigid and formal and phony was their own worship. Alexander McLaren again says this about the text. People with no depth of religious life hate religious emotion and are always seeking to repress it. You see, those who don't understand the joy of knowing Jesus, they always like it quiet and contained. They want to keep it refined and confined, reserved and austere. Lukewarm worship is good enough for them. Reverent is what they call it. Stripped of feeling, dead as a funeral parlor. Formalists like the Pharisees hate real feeling. They hate it when worship comes from the heart because it exposes how shallow their own faith. And can't you see them? How uncomfortable they are? Can you hear them? Jesus, make them be quiet. In fact, they had to scream it above the songs of the crowds, all the more exposing their stiff, formal superficiality. And notice how the master responds, the regal worship king. Today, he's out in the open for all to see. Here's what he says. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will have to cry out. Today, someone's got to praise him. Today, someone's got to shout glory. They've been stilled long enough. Today, this king is revealed for the king that he is. That's my king. And if the worshipers won't worship, if the loved ones won't praise him, if the followers who love Jesus and adore Jesus, if they won't praise him, these rocks are going to sing. Now, let me tell you something. Rocks aren't supposed to sing. Rocks are supposed to be rocks. Rocks give God glory by just laying there and being rocks. But if God's loved ones won't praise him, something in creation is going to bust loose in an unconventional way. You see, we were made to praise him. We were born to give him glory. And then he rescued us and saved us. So we've got to give him praise. That's why humans have vocal cords. That's why you've got a tongue to shout hallelujah. That's why you've got hands to clap and feet to dance. God made you so you could praise him. 
Psalm 48, 1, great is the Lord and worthy of praise. Psalm 66, shout with joy to God, all the earth. Shout, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 107, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. All creation was made to praise him. Psalm 145, everything you have made, Lord, will praise you. But listen to this. Rocks were made to be rocks. And people were made to praise him. Only people can speak the words of praise. Only humans can sing the songs of glory. Only the sons and daughters of man can lift their voices to give him the worship he rightly deserves. Only boys and girls and Women and men can think and choose and find words to express their love for Jesus. We all know how creation expresses the glory of God. The sunrise, a mist shrouded lake, the beauty of a piney woods laden with snow, the majesty of the mountains, a vista over Lake Superior, the quiet brilliance of the sunshine in the fall colored maple leaves. They glorify God just by being what they are. A rock gives God glory by being a rock but you were made to open your mouth and breathe deep and shout and sing his glory. Nature praises God. Oh, yeah, it does. But nothing gives him glory like when you raise your voice and put your heart into it. You who can put expression to it. As much as God loves how nature declares his beauty, he loves your praises more. Nothing expresses his glory as well as a child or a woman or a man who loves him. You were made to speak it and sing it. And if we don't, Jesus says, the rocks will have to. Rocks shouldn't have to shout. If they do, you know something really wrong is going on. It's we who were made to praise him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Sing it in worship. Speak it to a confused and needy world. Tell it to those who can't find God and to those whose lives are broken. Rocks shouldn't have to do it. That's what we were created for. Years ago now, 
I was talking with a young man, a, a kid I still love so much. And he was talking about his uncle, a man who uh, ruled the church, interestingly, a stern man, a proper man, a man who never smiled, never spoke a word of joy or encouragement or life. This young high school senior was telling me how much he loved the Lord and how improper his uncle made him feel. I'll never forget how he described him. Cold as a stone, he said. That just came back to me this week. Cold as a stone. No. Colder, really. Because a rock, just by being a rock, a stone, just by being a stone, declares its maker's praise. Only a man can refuse to be what he was created to be. Only a human can refuse to live what he was purposed to live. Only a person can so distort the reason for his existence that he refuses to do what he was created to do and what he was created to be. Cold as a stone. Colder. Colder. I tell you what, we've got to praise him. And if you're like me at all, you're about to burst. I've got to give praise to my Lord. I've got to lift my voice to give him glory. We've got to praise him. I want to take it all in and then I want to say, that's my king. So let's sing and worship and shout so that the rocks can just be rots so that they don't have to sing because we were made to praise him. Now the service will close with some scripture and songs and praise. And I know you're at home away from the congregation that were joined in this electronic way. And it might feel unusual, odd, but worship with us and sing with us. It might be more comfortable to just watch and stand on the sidelines, but this is for Jesus. This is for our Lord. He's worthy. And something is wrong if we stay silent. So let's worship. That's my King.